So our reading this morning is Ephesians chapter 2, which is on page 1174. So Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 11 on page one or page 1173. Sorry. Sorry. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you, who were once were far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Good morning, everybody. In the year 1961, the USSR was concerned by the mass exodus of East Germans into West Germany, and they were obviously unhappy about all the US spying missions going on as well. So on August the 13th, a barbed wire fence was erected separating East and West Berlin. This fence soon became a concrete wall complete with guard towers and armed guards with orders to shoot anyone that tried to cross. The actions of both sides led to horrendous tension that some of you will remember well and will have lived through. But that tension was felt most keenly by families separated, by workers unable to get to their places of uh, work, uh, employment, and the idea of peace just seemed impossible. How could it ever be achieved? Now, it seems too obvious to say that our world is one in need of peace. That's self-evident. What's less obvious is how such peace might be achieved. We all wonder how there could ever be peace between Ukraine and Russia. 
Could Ukraine hold out long enough in order for decreasing troop and public morale to force Russia to the negotiating table? We don't know. Um, we all wonder how there can ever be peace in the culture wars between those who hold to little c conservative values and those who advocate for progressive liberal values. Uh, could both groups leave their bubbles and stop demonizing the other side, allowing a little space for honest, nuanced discussion? We don't know. Um, or closer to home, we wonder how there can be peace between us and uh, the neighbors who've just moved in when they seem so different. How could we ever get on? Um, different because of age, different because of race, different because of culture, different because of social background. In each case, the path to peace is blocked by a thick, towering, well-guarded, metaphorical Berlin Wall. The reality is that for all these situations, some paths might lead to peace, temporarily at least. Many will fail. But Ephesians 2 verses 11 to 22 gives us the only 100% effective path to making peace. Um, we're going to look at this in, uh, in a couple of headings. Um, we'll skip back one if that's okay. Uh, the need for peace in verses 11 to 12. Two weeks ago, we heard Alex preaching. We loved hearing Alex preaching on the glorious verses in the first half of this chapter. Those verses started by holding up an old photo. This is who you were. You were dead. And these verses follow the same pattern. Again, an old photo of us is held up. This is who you were. You were far away. But I think I need to be clear. These verses hold up an old photo of who Christians were, who Christians used to be. For people who aren't yet following Jesus, these verses hold up a mirror. Sadly, this is who you still are. Either way, none of us are going to appreciate what Jesus offers until we recognize our utter, desperate need of peace. Verse 11 identifies the readers as Gentiles, non-Jews, and hints at how some Jewish people at the time might have unfairly written them off as other. And then we get five descriptions of these Gentiles, what they were like. Five descriptions of what we were all like before becoming Christians. And we're going to think about the specifics, but just for a moment, look in verse 12 at the descriptive words used separate, excluded, foreigners. These all build up the picture of, of us being far away, on the outside, looking in, just like those poor people stuck on the wrong side of the Berlin Wall, far away from family, jobs, and freedom. Verse 12, remember, remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ. Before we believed, we had no connection with Christ, Israel's Messiah. The chosen one who would rescue and rule was the hope of Old Testament Israel, not Gentiles like us. I'm assuming that 99% of us here are, are Gentiles. If, if you are from a Jewish background, you are very welcome as well. Continuing in verse 12. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. 
excluded from citizenship in Israel. The citizens of Israel were God's chosen people. They were special to him, loved by him. Everyone who was part of that nation had a heritage of God's grace, story upon story of how good he had been to them. But there was a very clear boundary of who was in and who was out. Gentiles like us were excluded, not part of God's people. You were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise. Being excluded from God's people meant we were excluded from God's promises. They didn't apply to us. God said to Abraham in Genesis 12, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. We would have loved to have that sort of divine blessing on us. God's promises gave his people comfort. God's promises kept his people going through difficult times. Those promises meant that whatever happened, God was always on their side. What a privilege. But as Gentiles, none of those promises applied to us. None of those fridge, ma- uh, fridge magnet verses were ours whatsoever. We were foreigners. And now this tragic description reaches its low point. Without hope and without God in the world. This world is sometimes a terrible place. When the diagnosis is bleak, when the pressure ramps up or when the darkness descends, everybody wants to hold on to some kind of light at the end of the tunnel. Most people in those circumstances will offer up a few prayers to a God who might just be there. But the tragic reality for us, apart from Christ, is that that light at the end of the tunnel isn't real. Apart from Christ, that light just isn't there. Before we came to Jesus, there was no happy ending to the story. At that time, we were completely alone. We had zero relationship with God. And in the end, we would have all been on the outside looking in forever. No hope, no God, no Christ, no people, no promises, separate, excluded foreigners. That's the harsh reality of being a Gentile. All the privileges belong to God's people, but we were far away in desperate need of peace. Christian, remember this is how bad your situation was. And sadly, this is how bad some of your situations still is. Far away, on the outside looking in. And I'm not saying that to push anybody away. I really don't want to push anybody away. I'm saying this precisely because God wants all of us to come in. I say this so that together we would all appreciate what Jesus offers all the more. And here's what he offers, summarized in one glorious verse that really stands out in this whole section Um, This verse, verse 13, it would be great to write down, it would be great to memorize and think about during the week. We were far away, but now in Christ Jesus, 
you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. A dramatic shift has taken place. Gentiles who were far away have been brought near. They have been reconciled. We have been reconciled. And we're going to see the meaning of that verse spelled out, explained in the next two paragraphs. Verse 14 to 18, show us the path to peace. That's our next title. And they lead on from the phrase, by the blood of Christ. We were singing about that just before we prayed earlier. We don't believe that Jesus' blood is a magical substance. Um, He has and has real human blood. Uh, But when you see that phrase, the blood of Christ, in a hymn or written in the Bible, it's a vivid way of referring to his death on the cross. And the same is true of the phrase we find in verse 15, in his flesh. His death is the path to peace. His death is what achieves reconciliation, making peace. And this peace is achieved in two directions, both horizontally between people and people and vertically between people and God. Let's think first about peace between people and people in verses 14 to 15. For he himself is our peace, who made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. We've already started thinking about that wall between East and West Berlin. Uh, We've already recognized that in every conflict, there is a wall that divides us. And in the case of Gentiles and Jewish people, that dividing wall was the law. The law that God gave Moses on Mount Sinai was good, Ten Commandments and all. But it was never meant to be the permanent way of access to God. It was just like a a playpen, a baby jail, um, keeping them safe until they reached maturity. One of the problems with the law was how it identified who were the people of God. Everyone who was in had to eat certain foods and celebrate particular festivals. All the men that were in had to get circumcised and cut their hair and beards a certain way. Everyone else who didn't follow these laws was very clearly out, excluded by this towering wall. And this invisible wall had a physical representation in the temple in Jerusalem. The Gentiles were allowed into the inner courts but, uh, sorry, the Jews were allowed into the inner courts, but the Gentiles had to worship on the outer courts. They weren't allowed in. And the law demanded a physical wall separating them. But Jesus destroys that invisible wall of the law. He has torn it down so that the two groups can now become one. Think of that moment, we'll put it up on the screen, when the Berlin Wall came down. People celebrating on top of it, families united, futures changed, 
Two worlds coming together after so long apart. That's what Jesus' death achieved. When he died, he created a new way of identifying who was in. So the law wasn't needed for that anymore. The solution wasn't turning Jewish Jewish people into Gentiles or the other way around. The solution was to create one new group, one new humanity out of the two. Not Gentile people, not Jewish people, Jesus people. In this new humanity, our defining identifier is not our nationality. In this new, new humanity, our defining identifier is that we belong to Jesus. Everything else that might have divided us in the past is secondary now. In this new humanity, every wall of division is broken down. Whatever our nationality, our ethnicity, our background, our language, our education, none of these things separate us anymore. In this new humanity, Jesus has made peace. Whenever I think about this, I think about the church in Cardiff where my wife Mel grew up. Um, They had three congregations. One of them spoke English, one of them spoke Mandarin, and the other spoke Cantonese. And they would normally meet separately. But one Sunday a month, they would all meet together. And, um, And I get shivers just thinking about it because all at once, singing in whatever language they wanted to, at the same time, they would praise Jesus. And, and honestly, thinking about it, just it, it's, it's amazing. And I think why that's so moving is because that's what heaven sounds like. People so different, separated, come together in the worship of Jesus. That's the horizontal dimension of peace between people and people. But Jesus' death has also made peace vertically between us and God. And we see that in verses 16 to 18. And in one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. That very same wall Uh, Oh, we can um, skip on to the next slide so we've got our titles up again. Uh, That very same wall that separated Jew from Gentile also separated all of us from God. As we've already seen, Gentiles, um, oh sorry, one slide back, still on the path to peace. Uh, As we've already seen, Gentiles like us were separate from Christ. God's promises didn't apply to us. We were without hope and without God. And on top of that, We were all lawbreakers. So we were on the wrong side of the wall. We were staring down an eternity of being shut out from God's presence. But Jesus has reconciled us to God through the cross. His death was a sledgehammer blow through the law. He obeyed it perfectly where we had failed so terribly. He took all the punishment that the law demanded for lawbreakers like us. He smashed a great big cross-shaped hole in the law. Picture it. Picture that 
cross-shaped hole in the wall of the law. See the beams of light breaking in. See people rushing through, climbing over the rubble, through into hope, into promise, into community, into Christ, into relationship with God. The message of Christ is peace for all peoples, as we see in verse 17. He preaches the same message to everybody, regardless of whether you're Jewish or Gentile, black or white, old or young, man or woman. Jesus has made one path to peace. There is no segregated access to God. Through him, we all have access to the Father by one spirit. And whoever you are, if you follow Christ, you have access to the Father too. Whatever your education, whatever your nationality, your ethnicity, your social background, you in Christ can have access to the Father if you come to him. Let's just take a moment to bask in the incomparably great power of God. No one would have ever believed there could have been peace between Jewish people and Gentiles. No one would have believed that hostility could have come to an end. Historians at the time wrote about just how much the two groups hated each other often. But now there are Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians united as one around the world and in heaven today, praising their Lord Jesus. The same is true across all barriers of race, ethnicity and class. Our world often associates power with conflict, but it requires much more strength to make peace. What a mighty saviour we have. The path to peace is Jesus' death. And our final point, the result of peace. I think um, we might be beginning to realise that there's a lot in the verses in Ephesians. Like, it's rich. There's a lot to take in. And maybe you, uh, some of you are starting to feel a bit full. But, but keep going, because the best is yet to come. Um, think about it this way. There's this great big hole in the wall. Don't you want to know what's on the other side? As I read verses 19 to 22, see if you can pick up all the building imagery. Consequently, You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The first results to notice are that everything that was true of us Gentiles earlier is now undone. Previously foreigners, now not foreigners and strangers. Um, Previously, hang on, where are we? Uh, Previously excluded from God's people, now fellow citizens with God's people. Previously separate from Christ and without God, now part of his household. That means part of God's family. Uh, We're not sort of of let in through the wall and having to stay on the edge, kind of tolerated in God's kingdom. We are welcomed right into God's living room, into part of his household, sons and daughters, 
of God. Once far away, now brought near. But the consequences are even greater than that. Jesus has torn down a wall to build a home. Jesus has torn down a wall to build a home. The foundation has been laid in the apostles and prophets. They were the ones whom God used to declare the gospel. And we stand firmly on what they said. The most important stone is in place, which holds the whole building together. Christ, the cornerstone. And brick by brick, person by person, we are all being built up and joined together into one building. A holy temple. A home where God lives. A home where God lives. A dwelling in which God lives By his spirit. The church is the house where God lives. That doesn't mean this building is where God lives. That doesn't mean this room is a sanctuary. We don't believe that. We, the people, together are where God lives. So right now, God is here. God is here among us. When we go through those front doors for a chat afterwards, God is there. God is there among his people. When you meet as a small and local group, God is there. When you invite a couple of Christian friends around and invite your non-Christian neighbours as well for dinner, they're coming to a place where God is. Now you might say, well, isn't God everywhere? And yes, that's true. But just as in the Old Testament, God was especially and gloriously present in the temple. So now, God is especially and gloriously present where we are. The church is quite astonishing. People from every single background, people from every single class, people from every single possible human division, together a dwelling for God. That is glorious. The church is astonishing. You who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. How can we respond to what we've heard this morning? I think three C's will do it. Commit, connect, come in. Commit. Um, This is a way of expressing the unity that is ours in the church. It's wonderful when Christians come to this church and uh, are here for like a few weeks. They want to see what it's like here. Maybe they're trying some other churches as well. That's all good. But I would encourage you to commit as soon as possible, whether that's here or whether that's somewhere else. It's good for us to express the unity that is ours by committing ourselves to one, uh, one local congregation. That might mean Um, joining a small and local group, that might mean becoming a serving member if you've been coming here for a long time. I would encourage you to commit and express the unity that is ours in the church. Connect. Um, I would encourage you to express the diversity in the United Church by connecting with someone that isn't like you by normal human definitions of uh, such divisions. Speak to someone um, and get to know someone who's older than you. 
who's younger than you, who's from a very different social background to you, who's from a different country than you. In the church, we are wonderfully united, and we have an opportunity to express that here today. And come in. Commit, connect, come in. Um, Some here are still on the outside looking in. Some of you have have seen a mirror. This This is who you still are. You're still far away. You're on the wrong side of the wall looking in. Jesus has his arms open to you. Come in. Trust in his blood for the forgiveness of your sins. Be welcomed into his family. Put your faith in him. Come in. If you'd like to, um, me or John would be very willing to speak and pray with you afterwards if you're in that place. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the blood of Christ. Thank you that there is now peace between us and you, between us and others. Thank you for your incomparably great power that has made this possible. We pray that you would help us to be thankful every single day and make the most of the access that we have to you. Please help us to express in this local church what is true of your church across the world and throughout time. We pray that we would be wonderfully, gloriously different to the world outside. We pray that you would unite us with this one thing in common, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.